Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. Hey, that's my mom. And Glenn Leverins. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's Friday, January 5th, 2024. Good morning, and welcome back to another edition of Morning Air. Merry Christmas, we continue to say, and happy first Friday of the new year. I'm John Morales, along with uh, the birthday boy, Glenn Leverance, and studio producer, Sarah Tafoya. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. It is great to be with you on this 12th day of Christmas here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app as uh, we get ready for the weekend and get ready for the solemnity of the Epiphany of the Lord on this Sunday. Now, today, the Catholic Church in America is honoring St. John Newman. He was born in Bohemia in 1811 and developed a desire to help the missions in the U.S. and would be ordained in New York in 1836, entering the Congregation of the Most Holy Redeemer he established parishes and parish schools in 1852. St. John Newman was consecrated Bishop of Philadelphia, and he introduced the 40 hours devotions of the Blessed Sacrament uh, to America from Europe. As always, uh, we uh, try to remember uh, every single Friday the Sacred Heart of Jesus as well as the Passion and the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, something that we do every Friday and especially on this first Friday. I want to bring in Glenn and Sarah. Hey, Glenn, happy birthday, my brother. Why, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Still still alive and kicking, so it's uh, it's good to be here bringing you the news and a, a little more as well. Well, Glenn, you got anything uh, planned, any big plans for this day? Well, let's see. It's going to be a regular work day, and then uh, actually my wife's work Christmas party is going on tonight, so I'm kind of hijacking another party, I guess. What? They made you work on your birthday? Come on, Relevant Radio. Oh, well, it's only radio, so it's not really work, you know? Work uh... is fun for you, and uh, speaking of work, uh, uh, tell us uh, what are some of the headlines uh, in in the news here on this first Friday morning? Israel working on plans for what happens after the war in Gaza, saying that they will have Palestinians in charge in Gaza, but uh, the condition is that there'll be no hostile actions or threats against the state of Israel. And uh, obviously, uh, this is uh, something that uh, is very uh, concerning as to what happens uh, next. Uh, We still haven't gotten through this this, uh, terrible war, uh, but uh, obviously uh, this is on on the minds of of not only the Israelis, but also uh, our our country, Secretary of State Anthony uh, Blinken is expected to be back in Israel uh, to hold talks with uh, Palestinian officials uh, in the West Bank. Always important when uh, wading into armed conflict uh, to kind of, as much as you can, uh, have a plan for how things will end, you know, how to how to get out of it. Uh, you may recall throughout the course of the still ongoing uh, conflict in Ukraine, uh, trying to come up with an off-ramp for Russia uh, to get out of it, but uh, they're seemingly not interested in turning on the blinker there at all. And an interesting uh, item in the news this morning, uh, the Vatican has issued a clarification on same-sex uh, blessings. Uh, what, what do we know? What do we know, Glenn? Well, when it came out a couple uh, couple weeks ago, uh, some confusion about that for many. And, and, and some uh, dioceses around the world are not really in, in agreement with that at all. But uh, according to the Vatican, now each bishop has a responsibility to discern 
the local application of uh, that uh, directive, Supplicating Trust, that's the English translation, on the pastoral meaning of blessings signed by the Holy Father. But a bishop should not deny priests the ability to bless people who come to them, said the press release. Uh, and Bishop Barron, among many, one of the familiar voices here, uh, is saying in the document in the 21st of December that in no way does it call for a change in the church's teaching regarding marriage and sexuality. It's uh, ironic because we just talked about this issue on the uh, the blessings of, of same-sex uh, uh, couples just yesterday uh, with Bishop Scharfenberger. And uh, uh, next hour, we'll hear a, a little bit uh, from the bishop uh, who reminded us that there is absolutely no new uh, doctrine or a, any new ritual in the church. Uh, it is simply uh, a blessing uh, to, to seek God's grace. Now, uh, another story that caught my attention as reported by Fox News. Uh, Shia LaBeouf uh, reported the plans to become a deacon after receiving confirmation into the Catholic Church. Uh, The movie star previously announced his uh, conversion to uh, the Catholic faith after starring in the film Padre Pio. And in fact, this past Sunday, LaBeouf uh, made things official, receiving the sacrament of confirmation at the Old Mission Santa Ines Parish in California. Uh, Shia LaBeouf uh, spoke to uh, Bishop Robert Barron about his Catholic faith and the Latin Mass. I was never an atheist. I was always an agnostic, even when I was a Sam Harris, TED Talk, you know, Christopher Hitchens guy. I always had a belief, but I never had like a connection. Latin Mass gave me something where I felt connected. Super interesting because obviously anytime a... uh, a big movie star like Shia LaBeouf uh, b- becomes a Catholic and is this fervent in his desire to uh, to uh, grow in his faith. Uh, it catches uh, the attention of the media, uh, Glenn. Yeah, I mean, the Lord happy for anyone, famous or not, to come into his church. And uh, sometimes those who are famous uh, end up with a platform that uh, might attract a few more people. So that can be very good news indeed. In fact, uh, the uh, uh, Capuchin Franciscans, a Western American province, actually uh, put out a statement that they put on uh, Facebook that said, his decision to fully enter the church is a testament to his sincere desire to grow in his relationship with God and live out the gospel values. So uh, good uh, for Shia LaBeouf. And just, you know, what a a neat way for the Lord to work in his life by, uh, you know, calling him to use his his skills as an actor and then be in a role that so moves him that, uh, you know, he, uh, he, uh, he makes that move to the church. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, happy birthday once again, and uh, make it a blessed and great day, Glenn. Yeah, in case I'm not, you know, on mic when I'm supposed to be, maybe I'll just be over here eating some cake. So just holler <laughs> loud for me, okay? We will do. All right. Thanks again. Uh, we begin every morning as we always uh, do in prayer, uh, giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings. And we always pray through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary, as we continue to pray for peace in the world, especially in the Middle East and in Ukraine, and peace in our nation, peace in our church, and peace in our families. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, 
pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit every single morning here when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. As we uh, do on every show, our power scripture from the Playbook of Life is from John eleven twenty five and 26. Jesus the Lord says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? One year ago today, we honored the life and the legacy of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, whose funeral took place in St. Peter's Square. Pope Benedict was focused on Jesus Christ. He was Christocentric and truly believed the words of Jesus in the gospel, Christ is the resurrection and the life. Pope Benedict's last words were, Lord, I love you. What a great prayer, uh, an example for every single one of us. And we always pray with great confidence from the Chapel of Divine Mercy, Jesus, I trust in you. Now, we're just five days into the first week of 2024, and many of us are trying to actually live out our New Year's resolutions. But how do we go forward and not let our past failures uh, keep us from making progress in our lives? How can um, we name the bad habits that prevent us from actually moving forward? Joining us live from Queens in New York City uh, is Morning Air contributor, Redemptorist Father Bob Pagliari, for much more on New Year's resolutions and on burying the old shovels, which is the title of his latest article. Father Bob is a redemptorist priest in New York City. He teaches theology and communication courses at St. John's University in Queens. And in fact, he's sitting in a classroom for this very broadcast as we speak. Father Bob writes a monthly column called Holy Homework for the Good News room.org, which is formerly the Catholic New York, the newspaper of the Archdiocese of New York. Good morning, Father Bob. I, I can continue to say Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Thank you so much for being with us once again. It's great to be with you here uh, to uh, start this new year on this first Friday. Uh, thank you, John. Uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you also, and to Sarah and uh... Uh, that also to Glenn, along with the happy birthday wishes, and and to all of our listeners, happy happy um, New Year's and, and uh, merry merry Christmas to all of you. God bless all of us. Well, thanks, uh, yeah, Father it, Bob. It, you you always have an interesting uh, column, and uh, once again uh, this month, uh, your the title of your article is called "Bearing the Old Year Shovels." Share with us a little bit uh, of uh, this story. Well, this really came to me from reading a book by called A View from the Front Porch uh, by uh, Craig uh, Lounsgrove. And he said this statement, which really struck me. He said, when I'm at the bottom looking up, the main question may not be, how do I get out of this hole? In reality, the main question might be, how do I get rid of the shovel that I used to dig it? I think it's a wonderful, wonderful image, isn't it? You know, it's, it's, we, we do get into these holes that we dig for ourselves. So we all have done that and we all have been there. And we, we keep concentrating on how to get out. And he turns it around. And it's a wonderful concept for us. How do we get in there in the first place? What, what were the tools that we used to dig this hole? If we get rid of those, 
then we're going to get rid of the problems. You know, it reminds me, John, you, you know more about this than I do because you, uh, your son plays baseball and you know more about baseball than I do. But it, when I was learning baseball, I kept missing, okay? Every time I swung the bat, I just couldn't. And finally, the coach said to me, keep your eye on the ball, not where you're trying to hit it with a left field or right field or center field. Look at the ball, and guess what? You'll hit it, okay? Uh, and when I was older, <laughs> I took up golf. And uh, one of my coaches, a very good friend of mine, in fact, he said to me, Father, don't, please don't concentrate on sand shots. Now, when you're in a bunker, uh, you're trying to, it's a trick shot to get out of a bunker if you're a golfer. The golfers who are listening will know what I'm talking about. He said, don't concentrate on that. Concentrate on what you did to get in there in the first place and stop doing that. And I think this this is a wonderful, wonderful way for us to look at the New Year's resolution. Stop looking at, at the, how to get out of the trouble that we're in. Rather, let's look at how we got into the trouble to begin with and make our New Year's resolution to stop doing that. Stop using those shovels, whether they're thoughts or words or deeds. Whatever we're doing wrong that, that gets us down and and into sin Let's stop doing that. So then we don't have to, you know, look look at the hole. We don't have to stop digging the holes because we don't have the tools to do it anymore. I just think it's a great concept for a New Year's resolution. Yeah, and uh, and I love uh, your perspective on keeping your eye on the ball. Uh, you know, after all, baseball is a game of failure. You make an out uh, seven out of ten times, you're in the Hall of Fame. Uh, but it's not that easy sometimes <laughs> to keep your eye on the ball. Easier said than done. I want to invite our listeners, and we want to open up the phone lines. Uh, if you You've made New Year's resolutions, and most of you have. Uh, do you think that this is going to be the year that you finally uh, stick to them? I would love to get uh, your perspective. We're taking your calls for Father Bob Pagliari at 888 here early this morning on this first Friday, 888 Hey, Father Bob, uh, how can we uh, contemplate uh, our New Year's resolutions in a more a deeper, a sincere, and a realistic way we can do that John it's a wonderful question thank you uh, first of all we have to be serious and we have to be practical I think a lot of people you know get very very uh, generous with their with their New Year's resolutions to make too many uh, they make them long term uh, let's let's first of all focus on prayer I think that's a very 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 to pray more to pray uh, more honestly, with more integrity, to with more firm purpose of amendment, as we, as we say, for example, the act of contrition. Hmm? Uh, let's make that, or, or, or actually <laughs> receiving the sacraments, especially the sacraments of confession and, uh, and communion, more often. Again, these sound like very, very simple resolutions. Instead of making a whole list of them, you know, up to 25, just one or two that are really, really focused on our spirituality, on our growth, that we can really keep. And that's the main thing. That's the main thing, that, that we can keep. Uh, morning prayer, uh, prayers before meals, uh, Mass on Sunday, all of these these very, very practical things. If we've been loose about that, if, if those are the holes we've been digging, let's get rid of those shovels and decide, but for these three things, whatever the, the, uh, the New Year's resolutions that we want to stick to, let's start with prayer, Mass, and the sacraments. I think that's very, very important. 
Well, Father Bob, uh, it sounds to me like uh, we're talking about uh, basic fundamentals. Is something that we hear, especially in football. You know, fundamentals. You have to be fundamentally right. sound. I think in the spiritual life, we also need to be fundamentally sound. Absolutely correct. Yeah, there's, there's a, a great bridge between what we do and how we do it and how the results are, okay? You want to see good results? Put the time in up front, uh, whether it's practice or, or discipline, all those things. These are not really popular words, by the way, in our society today. You know, obedience, discipline, uh, th- those, are, those are really not popular virtues, but they do actually have the results. They do put us where we want to be, whether it's a New Year's resolution, whether it's a better Catholic, uh, whether it's a closer and closer to God and the Blessed Mother. That's really what we want to do huh, for the for the new year and for every year after that. Father Bob, you talk about in your article uh, about instruments of destruction, th- those bad habits that, that keep us from actually progressing, from moving forward. Uh, what are a few of those bad habits that we should really be aware of here in this new year? Well, you know, for example, one of the things that we do, what shovel are we using to fuel our anger, okay, with, with thoughts of revenge instead of uh, being more forgiving? You know, toss away that shovel that uh, helps us uh, to fuel our anger. We don't, we don't need that, okay? What about the shovel that we use to hoard things, you know, the selfish hours that we spend maybe in, in self-indulgent uh, pleasures ra- rather than spending time with family and friends, huh? Again, toss that shovel out. Um, when, do, when we envy the abundance that the, maybe our neighbor has and we look with envy, you know, covet, uh, the, the, the ninth and tenth commandment are covered our neighbor's wife and our, our neighbor's goods. You know, you know. Again, toss those. These are very basic things, actually, and we can do this if we put our mind to it. If we bring it into our consciousness and conscience, okay, then we can turn these very, very bad habits that we can easily fall into. These are bad vices, but we can turn them around by by practicing the opposite, which is the virtues. Uh, of of uh, being calm, uh, being being kind, being generous, uh, being grateful for what other people have rather than jealous. I, th- I think we can do this, John. Yeah, absolutely. It's it. You just described what sounds like uh, the seven d- deadly uh, sins, and uh, they can be <laughs> overcome uh, with uh, with virtue. Uh, no, no question about it. What about fortitude? Uh, having that intestinal fortitude uh, to deal with some of those uh, shortcomings, some of those uh, those bad habits. Well, fortitude, of course, is strength, and we have to pray for that. We, we, that's the, that's the main thing. Uh, and you're correct. Absolutely. Let's throw away these seven deadly sin shovels that we use very, very easily. Okay. Uh, and, and, uh, also, and replace them with the virtues, which are not as easy because it's, it's easier to be bad than it is to be good. There's, there's no question about that. Okay. And the devil is delighted when we're more bad than good. But I think if we have the strength, fortitude is a wonderful, wonderful virtue. We don't hear too much about that, okay? And, and that means actually having the strength to stick with something, the stick to okay? And again, we go back to discipline. We have to want to do it. We, we know that we can do it. We have to try. And if we fall down, get back up. Get back up and, and t- toss that shovel out and start to start 
moving in the right direction toward virtue and away from vice. And that's the kind of attitude that we need to have if uh, this is going to be the year that we actually uh, stick to our, our resolutions. Y- your your final uh, thoughts, uh, I know you every month you always have uh, holy homework for us here. Uh, what What's the holy homework for January? Well, it's I think it's not too late, John, to add a New Year's resolution to our list, long or short, whatever it is. Let's name and decide to bury the number one shovel that we have used in the past to dig a hole for our souls so we can stand instead on holy ground for the next 365 days and beyond. So just pick out one shovel that we we use to really dig ourselves into a spiritual hole and toss it. If we can do that one resolution, and if that's the only resolution that we do, that's going to be marvelous, going to bring us closer to God and His Blessed Mother. Amen. Father Bob, thank you so much for being with us. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you. God Thanks so you. much. God bless you all. Thank you so much. God Father God. Bob Pagliari, a columnist for the goodnewsroom.org, formerly the Catholic New York, as well as a longtime regular contributor to Morning Air. We need to take a short break. When we come back, licensed marriage and family therapist Doug Hinder uh, will uh, talk about the redemptive value of suffering. Stay with us. There's much more to come. Looking at life from a Catholic worldview, this is Morning Air. And welcome back to Morning Air. Merry Christmas. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us on this first Friday morning of 2024 here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. It's so good to be with you once again on this 12th day of Christmas. Yes, the Christmas season is still not over. You can always send us an email directly. It's morningair at relevantradio.com. Now, as you may know, the world tries to tell us to avoid suffering as much as possible. But truthfully and realistically speaking, we have no choice about pain or suffering. Sooner or later, everyone must face suffering. It's a question of how do we deal with it? How can we make our suffering redemptive and unite our sufferings to those of our Lord Jesus and his blessed mother? Earlier this week, I spoke to licensed marriage and family therapist Doug Hinder about accepting suffering as a good, especially within marriage. Doug's passion is working with couples to help them live the married life that God intended from the beginning. He's been married for 43-plus years to his incredible wife, Shirley. They have nine children and eight grandchildren. You can find Doug at happymarriageforlife.com. Here's my conversation with Doug Hinder. Good morning, Doug. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Thanks so much for being with us. It's great to be with you to start the new year. Same to you, John. I always, uh, I, I, I enjoy our time together. And yeah, you know, it's the new year, right? And a lot. so you come up with your New Year's resolutions. And for a lot of couples, that resolution is we're going to work on the marriage. We're going to improve the marriage. We want to really, you know, kind of focus on our marriage in the new year. And so that's, you know, that's what I'm here to help them do. Well, the the new year also means that uh, your new weekend show is right around the corner here on Relevant Radio. You got to be excited uh, there, I, yeah. Uh, Doug. Yeah, I am. I really am. And and um, you know the the the, the two word description of what the show is all about is strengthen marriages. And so that's what we're going to try to do starting in a week and a half on the thirteenth uh, at eleven a.m. Central Time. 
Uh, we'll be on for an hour. We'll take calls. It's, we're going to be practical and scriptural, you know, and we're going to combine the latest science and research and in our faith to help couples strengthen their marriage. That's what we're going to do. So, yeah, thanks for talking about that, John. I, I am very excited about it. Well, uh, we're with you uh, 100% as well. We want to see you just uh, knock it out of the park. Uh, come that first show on January 13th at 11 a.m. here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Uh, now, one aspect of strengthening our marriages involves how we deal with suffering. And, uh, w- you know, it's inevitable. Everyone at some point or another is going to have to deal with, with suffering, and especially uh, during the context of, of marriage. We really have no choice when it comes to suffering or pain. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's the mystery of suffering, right? That that is so difficult to wrap our arms around it, especially in marriage. I most of the suffering in marriage is more emotional than than physical suffering. I and we, you know, we tend to expect you know, toothaches and you know we get the cold and the flu and stuff, but emotional suffering, uh, you know, we 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 don't like emotional suffering. That's a lot harder to deal with than physical suffering, oftentimes. And and in marriage. You know, emotional suffering could take a lot of different forms. Uh, you know, loneliness for one, right? Uh, you know, it, we get married expecting to live happily ever after, right? We marry someone who makes us happy and joyful, and we we are expecting that. And then all of a sudden, reality sets in, and we discover this person we married has some defects, and and not not all of my needs get met all the time. And so sometimes that can result in loneliness. And I, 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 one of the things that on a practical level that contributes to a lot of loneliness in marriage is the smartphone. You know, we spend a lot of time on that screen. Uh, the men tend to be playing games on that screen or following their favorite sports teams and women tend to be on social media more. And, but anytime I've got that screen in front of me, that is a block between me and my spouse that can result in, in loneliness. Uh, and like you said, we're talking about both men and women for for different reasons. Oh, yeah. so, some women love uh, to uh, tune into their favorite podcasts, and the, you know you pat out in the headsets, and you can be totally disconnected from your husband because you're too busy listening to a podcast. Yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah, you see it a lot. You see it in restaurants a lot. You know, you got a couple in there, and they're both on their phones and not talking to each other. So, so that can result in loneliness in marriage, and that's you know I think loneliness is the most painful emotion that human beings, uh, endure. Uh, you know, we, we were brought into this world to live in community. And when I'm lonely in my marriage, man, that's a really painful thing. And, and you know, it can result in other, uh, other suffering. So like feeling unloved, right. I, I'm just not a, a priority in my spouse's life. They're focused on their career or oftentimes husbands feel unloved because they perceive that all of their wife's time and attention is on the children and they're just getting the leftovers, you know? And so they're not feeling well-loved oftentimes, or, you know, I feel misunderstood or I feel disrespected or I I feel rejected. You know, I, I, especially in areas of intimacy, rejection can be very, very painful or, or, um, you know, verbally, right. I, if I'm married to somebody who can be sarcastic or likes to poke fun, well, you know, what he or she thinks is funny, kind of hurts sometimes. And, uh, you know, I can feel unappreciated or taken for granted. I, I do all this work and you never acknowledge me. You never say thank you. You never, 
you, you never show appreciation, right? Or or you criticize a lot. You point out what's wrong with me. You point out my flaws. And man, I don't. I kind of feel like a failure around here because all I hear is is what I'm doing wrong. And so all of these kinds of things can result in some real genuine, painful suffering in a marriage. You just uh, mentioned a bunch of different ways uh, that uh, couples uh, and uh, spouses can can experience that emotional suffering. Um, it, it, it can be really uh, painful, you know, yeah. for, for someone who's who's dealing, you know, with, with being made fun of, for example, or even, you know, feeling rejected uh, because the other one ignores them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and there's ways to talk about this stuff and we'll, we'll explore a lot of that, uh, in, in, in my show on Saturday mornings. Um, and, uh, and we've covered a lot of these things in the past too, on how you need to, our past shows done, how you need to talk to your spouse about, about what you need. But at the end of the day, you are married and will always be married to a person with defects. And no matter how hard that person tries, they're going to get it wrong sometimes. And there's going to be suffering. I th- so I think a much better strategy or, or an important strategy, I guess, is to be able to accept the sufferings that, uh, you know, that are in your life. And it's a, you know, a lot of times we try to reject those sufferings. We try to uh, avoid them. We try to escape them. But we pick some pretty bad ways to do that. You know, alcohol or drugs or food, we find our comfort in food. And so we eat too much or, or shopping. We spend too much money because we try to avoid suffering. And a much better strategy is to accept it and to say, you know, I can't avoid it. Why don't I turn it into something good? And, you know, uh, you know our Holy Father, John Paul II, the great, uh, wrote a, a wonderful apostolic letter on human suffering where he, he really helps people explore and, and accept the, the value in, in suffering. And I, you know, one of the points is, I mean, of all of the ways that God could have chosen to redeem us, he chose suffering. Uh, suffering somehow is of such great spiritual value that Jesus did not even spare his own mother. Even Mary suffered tremendously, especially emotional suffering when she watched how her son was treated. And so somehow suffering can be transformed into something very noble and very good. And we get the opportunity to do that in in marriage. And one of the things that uh, John Paul II said in in that Epps-like letter is, that this is a quote, he's, "In, in the light of Christ's death and resurrection, illness no longer appears as an exclusively negative event. Rather, it is seen as an opportunity to release love, to transform the whole of human civilization into a civilization of love. Now, if we reword that a little bit in the context of marriage, it comes out like this. In the light of Christ's death and resurrection, marital suffering no longer appears as an exclusively negative event. Rather, it is seen as an opportunity to release love, to transform marriage into a marriage of love. And so I think if we can embrace this idea that somehow we can use whatever suffering we're going to have in our marriage and use that to bring about my sanctification and the salvation of my spouse, then all of a sudden it's not quite the negative thing that we might think it is. Pope St. John Paul II had such great wisdom as as you 
I just mentioned in that apostolic letter that, that he wrote. Um, Holy Mother Church uh, in, in sacred scripture also has a, a lot of wisdom, and yet uh, oftentimes folks just don't take the time to meditate uh, on what you call this mystery uh, of suffering. Would you agree, um, Doug, that maybe the, the reason why suffering appears so hard is that for us as Catholics, we're just not taught what suffering actually is or how to bear it or accept it, or even that it has value. There's value in redemptive suffering, even in the context of marriage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I think so. I think certainly uh, we could do a better job of, of teaching people about that. Plus, you know, we live in a culture that tries to avoid suffering at all costs. Right. So we have a pill to fix anything. You got a headache, you take an aspirin, you got a sore muscle, you take this, you take that. And so we live in a world that says suffering is bad. We should avoid it at all costs. Well, and I think one of the great secrets of our Christian faith is no, suffering is not bad. You can actually, you can actually produce an awful lot of good. I mean, suffering is the currency with which heaven is purchased often, right? It's part of that currency. And we need to understand it better. And I think make it uh, part, I think part of what can help is, is if we look at suffering as kind of a general theme of our life that, you know what, there's going to be suffering every single day of my life at some sort or other physical or emotional. And I'm going to take whatever suffering comes my way today. I'm going to offer that to our Lord for this special intention, for the salvation of my children, for the holiness of, of my marriage, my spouse, I'm going to take this suffering. I'm going to turn it into something really good. And that was licensed marriage and family therapist and morning air contributor Doug Hinder. Remember to tune in to Doug's new relevant radio show. It's called Marriage Unhindered, which will be debuting on Saturday, January 13th at 11 a.m. Central, right here on Relevant Radio. We need to take a short pause. When we come back, Bishop Daniel Muggenberg will look ahead to this Sunday's gospel for the solemnity of the Epiphany of the Lord. So stay with us. There is much more to come on this first Friday edition of Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. Looking at life from a Catholic worldview, this is Morning Air. And welcome back to Morning Air on another Friday dedicated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. I'm John Morales. It's good to be with you. And now it's time to look ahead to this Sunday's Gospel. Always keep in mind that the Word of God in the Gospels, the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, is powerful. When the Gospel, the Book Eternal, is proclaimed, Christ is passing by. Jesus is speaking to you. So listen carefully, folks, as Bishop Daniel Muggenberg, Bishop of Reno, Nevada, shares his weekly reflection on this Sunday's Gospel with our very own Glenn Leverance. Our Gospel reading for the Epiphany of the Lord comes from Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star at its rising and have come to do him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was greatly troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it has been written through the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, 
are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, since from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and ascertained from them the time of the star's appearance. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word that I too may go and do him homage. After their audience with the king they set out, and behold the star they had seen at its rising preceded them until it came and stopped over the place where the child was. They were overjoyed at seeing the star, and on entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They prostrated themselves and did him homage. Then they opened their treasures and offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their country by another way. Time now to take a deeper look at that gospel reading for the Epiphany of the Lord coming up this Sunday from Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. Joining us as always for that look, we say as well, Happy New Year to Bishop Daniel Muggenberg from Reno, Nevada. Bishop Muggenberg, thanks for joining us. Happy New Year to you, Glenn, and great to be here. Well, maybe a new year on the calendar, but still deep into thoughts of Christmas here with the the wise men, the Magi, coming to look for the Christ. And uh, we're seeing they were led by a star. They kind of check in with the town leaders, and hmm, they're not sure if they want to respond to Herod in the way that uh, they're not both looking for the same reasons. That's true. And, you know, we're all familiar with this story uh, because we see it represented in our nativity scenes and we hear it sung in the in the hymn, We Three Kings, or the carol, We Three Kings. But there's a lot of elements and a lot of uh, dynamics that are happening within this passage. And Matthew's trying to teach us some very profound truths through the experience of this, of this um, account of the Magi searching for Jesus. So let's take a look at it and we'll try to figure out how we can grow in our discipleship by looking at them. Well, one of the first things we see here is this is the, the first words listed in the gospel into the, the second chapter of Matthew's work here that are spoken by a human. That's true. And first words are critically important anytime that we read a gospel. And uh, though that question that they pose, where is the newborn king of the Jews, is a question that's going to hang over Matthew's gospel um, for the next really 27 chapters. And that question uh, becomes answered definitively um, when Jesus is on the cross of Calvary, and above him is the placard that identifies him as Jesus Christ, King of the Jews. We'll get the idea, Bishop Muggenberg, that Herod knew enough to uh, know that the Jews were expecting the Messiah, and this would be a ruler, but uh, that got him nervous about uh, what he had to rule, and therefore he was was looking for Jesus in a different way than, uh, again, like the Magi were, and beckons the question for us, uh, when people are, are looking for Christ, do they find him in us, or more of an image of Herod? That's a very good question. And in order to answer that, we have to remember that for the Jewish people, there was really only one true king, and that was always God. Any earthly king who claimed that title always had the responsibility to represent the presence of God. And that meant that they were called to manifest the mercy, the love, and the justice of God himself. The reality is that many earthly kings failed terribly in that responsibility to actually represent God to the people. And Herod is an example of that. Someone who is so um, self-centered and so power-hungry that he would even put members of his own family to death thinking that they were challenging his authority. 
Jesus, on the other hand, represents to us exactly who God is. And he does that most definitively on the cross as he embraces the depths of human suffering um, in a profound act of mercy and forgiveness of our sins and bringing salvation to the world. And so Jesus expresses the face of God who is mercy, who is solidarity, who is forgiveness, who is compassion, who is sacrificial love for others. And that's why Jesus can only properly be called the King of the Jews. Now, our duty as we study Scripture sometimes to, you know, paint a slightly different picture than that cute little nativity set might uh, uh, that's uh, featured in our homes in terms of the age of our Lord when the Magi came to visit. Yes, and and, um, so when we're told that the Magi came and found the child with his mother um, in their home in Bethlehem, um, the word that's used for child, you know, doesn't imply a newborn infant. Rather, it implies perhaps a toddler in today's language. Um, Definitely a young child, but not necessarily a newborn infant. And that's why Herod um, orders the massacre of all children two years and younger. In Bethlehem, because Herod knows that the exact timing of the star corresponds not to a matter of days, but to a couple of years from the birth of Jesus. And so that tells us that the Magi were on a journey that took a long time. This was not a weekend trip. Um, but this what required perseverance. Uh, it required endurance. It required tremendous sacrifice for them to embrace, you know, the cold nights, the long days, the difficult um, traversing of territory. And so they are examples for us of real discipleship that doesn't demand immediate gratification for our questions or for our own pursuits of faith, but rather that we look to them as examples of perseverance, that we continue to search for Jesus, even when that requires um, difficulties on our own part and perseverance. So the wise men are exemplifying for that in the fact that they would not stop their quest of faith until they found the Lord. Always fun, too, Bishop Muggenberg, to look at the gifts that the Magi brought. They weren't just a gift card in the checkout aisle at the last moment either. They all had deep meaning pointing toward the future. (laughs) That's true. These were not afterthoughts. They did not give Jesus what was left over, you know, um, or what they just happened to have with them in the moment. But rather, they prepared to meet the Lord. And these gifts that they give Jesus are real manifestations of who Jesus is in his in his deepest identity. And that's why the celebration of the Epiphany um, is a word that means the manifestation. It's a manifestation of Jesus being revealed to the world, both as a light shining in the darkness, the image of the star, but also through the gifts that are borne by the wise men and presented to our Lord. So gold is the gift that is proper to a king. It's the gift of faithful subjects acknowledging their, their, um, their earthly uh, and their heavenly um, eternal leader. And so they're acknowledging Jesus in his messianic identity um, and in his kingly identity. Frankincense was the incense that was used in the temple for the offering of sacrifice, used by the high priest and offered to God. And Jesus, of course, is both divine and he also is our eternal perfect high priest. And so incense is the appropriate gift to manifest his identity as well. And lastly, myrrh 
commonly used as an embalming agent, represents that Jesus is someone who has embraced our human condition and, in fact, will die on the cross. And so in that, he will bring salvation to the world. And so Murr is acknowledging that reality of his own mission, his own identity as true God and true man who is with us. And so um, those gifts are real manifestations, but they're also manifestations not just of Jesus, but they're manifestations of the faith of the wise men themselves. Um, And so they are expressing their own commitment to Jesus, their own reverence for Jesus, um, their own obedience and honor to the Lord through the gifts that they present him. And finally, Bishop Muggenberg, a uh, look at what leads us to the Lord. In the case of the wise men, literally a star there. And you've got kind of a neat connection to that as well. (laughs) <laughs> I do. So my college studies um, were in the, the field of geology, which of course is a natural science. And as I was um, uh, pursuing uh, my bachelor's of science degree, you know, my study of the natural sciences really awakened within me a profound faith and a deep appreciation for God as creator. And so um, that light shining in the darkness, that star in the sky represents how we can be led to God through natural means of revelation that's in the created world around us, that we can come to know something of the Creator. And yet that knowledge that we can gain from the natural revelation can only lead us so far, as we see with the wise men. And that's why they had to go and they had to consult the Scriptures in order to come to the fullness of revealed truth and knowledge. And the same is true for us. It's only through God's revealed Word that we can truly understand who God is through Jesus Christ. And so the Gospels for us are that primary means of coming to understand the fullness of God's revelation in the gift of His very Son. So this is a profound passage for us. And yet we always have to remember that knowledge isn't the decisive factor for being a disciple. After all, Herod had all the knowledge in the world. I mean, he knew the scriptures, but he wasn't the one who was going to Bethlehem to worship Jesus. It was the wise men. And so Herod may have had knowledge, but Herod didn't have the gift of faith. And so we have to always be careful to not settle for the gift of knowledge, but to actually let it lead us to a deeper and more profound commitment to Jesus that transforms our lives and is expressed in active works of discipleship. You know, Herod remained in Jerusalem in the comfort of his warm palace. It was the wise men who continued their journey to Bethlehem in the midst of that cold night. And so um, our faith should motivate us to do the same thing, to be like the wise men and not like Herod. Well, we're glad we still have wise men to help us study Scripture each and every week, like yourself, Bishop Muggenberg, if you'd be so kind as to wrap us up this week with your blessing. The Lord be with you. And may the blessing of Almighty God encourage us to continue our journey of faith until we are transformed in our own encounter with the Lord, and we bring the message of His love and mercy to others through our living witness. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. And thank you, Bishop Muggenberg. And now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. And one more Christmas story for you today, our story called A Christmas Story. Herman and I locked our general store and dragged ourselves home. It was 11 p.m. Christmas Eve of 1949. We were dog-tired. We'd sold almost all of our toys and all the layaways except one package had been picked up. 
Usually we kept the store open till everything had been claimed. We wouldn't have been happy on Christmas knowing that some child's gift was still on the layaway shelf. But the person who'd put a dollar down on that package never returned. Early Christmas morning, we and our 12-year-old son Tom opened gifts. But I'll tell you, there was something humdrum about this Christmas. Tom was growing up. I missed his childish exuberance of past years. As soon as breakfast was over, Tom left to visit his friend next door. Herman mumbled, I'm going back to sleep. There's nothing left to stay up for. And so there I was alone, feeling let down. Then it began, a strange, persistent urge. It seemed to be telling me to go to the store. I looked at the sleet and icy sidewalk outside. That's crazy, I said to myself. I tried dismissing the urge, but it wouldn't leave me alone. In fact, it was getting stronger. Finally, I couldn't stand it any longer, and I got dressed. Outside, the wind cut right through me, and the sleet stung my cheeks. I groped my way to the store, slipping and sliding. In front stood two boys, one about nine, the other six. What in the world? See, I told you she'd come, the older boy said jubilantly. The younger one's face was wet with tears, but when he saw me, his sobbing stopped. What are you two doing out here, I scolded, hurrying them into the store. You should be at home on a day like this. And they were poorly dressed. They had no hats or gloves. Their shoes barely held together. I rubbed their icy hands and got them up close to the heater. We've been waiting for you, replied the older boy. My little brother Jimmy didn't get any Christmas. He touched Jimmy's shoulder. We want to buy some skates. That's what he wants. We have three dollars, he said, pulling the bills from his pocket. I looked at the money, and I looked at their expectant faces. Then I looked around the store. I'm sorry, I said, but we have no... Then my eye caught sight of the layaway shelf with its loan package. Wait a minute, I told the boys. I walked over, I picked up the package, unwrapped it, and miracle of miracles, there was a pair of skates. Jimmy reached for them. Lord, let them be his size, and miracle added upon miracle, they were his size. The older boy presented the dollars to me. No, I told him. I want you to have these skates, and I want you to use your money to get some gloves. The boys just blinked at first, and their eyes became like saucers, and their grins stretched wide when they understood I was giving them the skates. What I saw in Jimmy's eyes was a blessing. It was pure joy, and it was beautiful. My spirits rose. We walked out together, and as I locked the door, I turned to the older brother and said, How did you know I'd come? I wasn't prepared for his reply. His gaze was steady, and he answered me softly. I asked Jesus to send you. The tingles in my spine weren't from the cold. God had planned this, and as we waved goodbye, I turned home for a brighter Christmas. Matthew 6, 8, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. As always, thanks so much, uh, Glenn, and I hope you are enjoying your birthday today. Coming up next hour here on Morning Air, pro-life attorney and Morning Air contributor Mary Helen Fiorito will be with us to talk about the upcoming abortion pill case that the Supreme Court will be hearing. Plus, Carol and Pete Tomaselli, community coordinators of Retrovi of Chicago, will share some more suggested changes for a healthy marriage in 2024. So stay with with us. There is much more to come in the final hour of Morning Air on this first Friday of the new year here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app.